0: Len, the Philadelphia Phillies actually did something today. What well, kind of did something. Uh, Jim Salisbury tweeted out that the uh, team announced that they've declined the 2022 club option on Odubel Herrera's and Andrew McCutcheon's contract. So McCutcheon's going to be a free agent And Adubel Herrera, still eligible for salary arbitration, but could be non-tendered next month. Inevitably, these guys are not going to be coming back to the Philadelphia Phillies. And I I think this is the first shoe to drop when uh, talking about this Philadelphia Phillies team in the future because I think we're going to see, or I should say, I think we're not going to see a lot of guys that we've seen in the past. You know, they're going to be heading out.
2: Yeah, this is, um, it's... I, I i don't I don't know where to begin uh, because it, it, it just feels like you know especially yeah the Phillies did something today um the Braves did something yesterday they oh, won yes. a World Series yeah so um you know uh if, if if you know mr middleton wants his trophy back he can find it in atlanta uh you know in, in the lobby of a, of a you know of a division um you know rival uh yeah, I, I look. They're gonna have to clear space. Um, and you know, you look at the outfield, and Bryce Harper was pretty much a one-man gang in the outfield. Yeah. You have to get production out of center field and left field. That's not you know a nice to have; it's a must-have. You got to get production out of those areas. Yep. So yeah, I mean, you, I, I think this is the beginning of you know you're gonna of a of a few guys leaving. I think you're gonna see a lot of clearing of the deck because say, there are the some guys out there. It's gonna be a purge. Um, I think. Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't, I mean, I think anybody that can go probably will go. I don't see a lot of people returning. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, there, there's guys out there. I mean, I, look, I would love to have Freddie Freeman at first base. You know, <laughs> I, I like Reese Hoskins. <laughs> yes. But, um, but, you know, if Freddie Freeman wants to come here, feel free. Um, by Reese. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, so he's a free agent. You got all those shortstops that are free agents. You have to fill that hole. Um, you know, Center field, there's not a lot to pick from, but you need to do something there. Um, so it, it, it's going to be interesting, and it's not going to be cheap. And you know, okay, you know, we we have a team that you know that we've seen it now for a couple of years. They want to, they don't want to go over the luxury tax. They want to be around the edges and all that. Well, when you don't have a farm system, you have to go over the luxury tax. You have to. If, you do, if, if they if they do this again this winter. You might as well not even show up. Because exactly. You, they're, because they're openly showing you, hey, we're just trying to, you know, patchwork together a team that and and wish and hope and pray that we make the playoffs. Um But that's, that, that's how its, it's
0: been though. That that's how it's been with this organization. Seriously, they've been crossing their fingers for how many
2: years? Well, that we're it, gonna it's we're gonna, gonna spend to money. It, it is. It is. Because if you're, you know, you can do that. You can, you can do stuff like this if you're the Atlanta Braves. Why? Because the Atlanta Braves have a farm system. They have guys that can come up when they need them. Yeah. They have guys that they can trade when they need them to get the pieces that they made at the trade deadline, getting the Rosarios, getting the Jorge Solares, all the, and getting the Jock Petersons, the guys they got. You know, uh, they lost one of the most electric players in baseball in Ronald Acuna in June, and, and and they. And they, and they won they, the they World they had Series. They, they made the <laughs> trades they had to make yeah. to get outfield depth, yep. and they won. And that's the difference between a good organization and the Phillies. The, the Phillies organization, the, the best. Like it, it's, I don't know. It, it's kind of a joke to me. It's it's like watching Pat Mahomes' younger brother do goofy TikTok dances. That, that's that's what the Phillies. <laughs> organization looks like to it me. Does. sometimes they, they don't is. seem serious about winning and when you don't have a farm system like the Braves do the only option that they have this winter is spend they're gonna have because the the, the farm system yeah there's a couple pieces that are interesting you know Bryson Stott you know the two pitchers they've taken the previous first rounds but um guess what beyond that there's not much so You have to, if you want to win this year, you have to spend because it's not coming from within.
0: Len, it's not just the fact that this organization is clueless about winning or how to win. They're clueless about actual team building. They're clueless about chemistry. They're clueless about how analytics does actually play a part into what players are doing on the field and and the overall mechanics of the game. They've been out of the loop. It feels like they've been out of the loop with the analytics thing now for quite some time. It is reality that analytics are an important part of baseball. However, they have bungled it, and it's mind-boggling how much they've bungled it over all these years where they're still behind the eight ball. There is no team building or understanding of it within the organization. And that's where I actually step back and say, even if they do go out and they do spend over the luxury tax, they get players that are high-powered players to come in here Is it actually going to make a difference because of the culture and the absolute lack of awareness that the organization overall has had now for quite some time when it actually comes to team building and the chemistry needed for guys to succeed on the field? That's where I'm at with this organization.
2: Well, I mean, it's you know, it's it's awareness, it's development. I mean, to me, yeah. you know, I I watched a Braves team, you know, where where your starter last night was, you know, he was he that kid was drafted Max uh, Max Freed drafted out of high school. Yep, uh, Ian Anderson, high school pitcher drafted out of high school to say at with a third pick in the draft, and the same year the, the the Phillies took Moniac number one. Now, you know, they drafted a couple of you know exciting young pitchers, you know, back to back years in the first round. But can they develop them? Right. And that's the question to me. The Braves organization, you, you can tell. You, they always have somebody coming up from the minors. They're, that is an organization that they are serious about development and they do it well. The Phillies have not proven that they do development well yet. So, right. yeah, I mean, I, I, I like those picks, uh, Painter and, and Abel. But um, can they develop them? Because right. that's the next step. Yeah, you can get, t- you can get talent in, in here. But... You know, high school pitchers are a scary proposition. There's a long, there's a long road between draft day and when they finally make it to the majors. Right. And there's a lot of lot of things that can happen, that can go wrong. It can happen. That can, you know, arm injuries, whatever. You know, especially when you're trying to develop a starter and, and build up his, his pitch load, because um, everybody's scared to to let kids pitch these days. So I mean, yeah, there, there's a lot that can go wrong. And I trust an organization like the Braves more than I trust in an organization like the Phillies with something like that.
0: Absolutely. We've seen over the past few years the Nats win in the World Series, Braves win in the World Series here. When is it going to come to Philadelphia, folks? <laughs> it seems like it's going to be a while, but... Uh We've got a great show this week for everybody. Len and I are going to get into our thoughts on sports reputations. You know, why do certain reputations stick with the uh, teams, cities, franchises for as long as they do, but with other teams, cities, and franchises, they don't? And from there, we're going to get into some Eagles talk. Uh, you know, what have we learned from this Eagles team so far this year? And of course, we're going to give our scoring predictions for this week's Eagles Chargers game as well. And then. After that, we're going to talk about this Philadelphia 76ers team who tonight beat the Chicago Bulls. This team as of recording this on November 3rd is 6 and 2. One of the top teams in the Eastern Conference given all that has happened with this organization. And Then after that, we're going to be talking some Philadelphia Flyers, but 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 more in depth with regard to the Metropolitan Division. Man, it's really really brutal. And then uh, we're going to talk to one of our friends at the nonprofit uh, uh Reading Hot Stovers, talking about their annual banquet that's going to be coming up in 2022. And then what we're throwing down on the table this week, Mark Schofield from USA Today's Touchdown Wire is going to join us to talk about college football quarterback prospects that the Eagles may want to be looking at for next year's draft if that's the direction the Eagles want to go. So it's going to be a good show. Stay tuned for it and uh, enjoy the intro music here, folks. Listening to the Philadelphia Sports Table Podcast Show, the longest running weekly Philly sports podcast show in the world. I'm Jeff Warren here with Len Hunsicker. And Len, as we were talking about the Braves a little bit uh, earlier here, we we're talking about, you know, just sports reputations in a way, something that I've been really kind of thinking about as of late, watching the Braves, watching the Astros, two organizations that I don't particularly care for. You know, honestly, both are, are cheating organizations. And I think to myself, you know, why do certain reputations, sports reputations, stick with teams, cities, and franchises for as long as they do, and others they don't? Of course, with the Philadelphia Eagles fan base and just Philly sports in general, we're known as rough and tough fans, you know, throwing snowballs at Santa decades and decades ago. That has stuck and stuck, and it won't go away. But you have an organization and fan base with the Atlanta Braves, you know, fans who are known to throw garbage on the field, you know if the and and they don't seem to necessarily have that reputation that sticks with them. You look at the uh, Raiders franchise and organization, just those teams in general always known for getting penalized, rough and tough, you know, just just the, the bad guys out there on the field. Uh, that reputation has kind of kind of been uh, 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 trending downward, I guess. Over the over the years, but still, the Raiders had that reputation. And Len, I think, you know, you you look at some, you know, even in college football, like for God's sake, like Notre Dame, you know, the old, I, I cannot stand Notre, I think Notre Dame fans and football, they have this arrogance about them. And for some reason, I have no idea why that fan base has this arrogance about their football program, even though they get their teeth kicked in anytime they play a really great team. So, I don't know. I wanted to, you know, get your thoughts and just kind of get a discussion going about sports, uh, you know, reputations and fan base reputations. Why some stick, why some don't when they probably should. I don't know. I I think it's an interesting thing to think about. You know, it's like, why is the snowballs being thrown at Santa still to this day a huge thing? But, you know, you've got the Houston Astros. And I honestly thought online, on Twitter, on Facebook, quite frankly, even on Instagram, like I thought the whole cheating thing with them from a couple years ago would stick a little bit more and it's not that it hasn't stuck but i thought it would just be more prevalent within the conversation it's i think it's interesting man what do you think
2: uh, well i mean you know when you when you talk about the whole philadelphia thing and you know you talk about the snowballs at santa claus people forget you know how long ago it was but the fact of the matter is it's a visceral image you know, I mean, who doesn't love Santa Claus? Right. And then, so you're, 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 then you're, you have, you know, people throwing stuff at Right. that, that image it's, it's a cartoon, you know, almost it's so that the notion of that is so outlandish that it's cartoonish. And that is something that is always going to stick in people's mind. Yeah. I mean, you talk about, Oh, what about the Braves? You know, what about the Braves scandal? Well, you know, in case people aren't, you know, don't know what you're talking about, you're talking about um, John Coppolella, who was the Braves uh, the GM. GM years yep. ago, and he was circumventing international signing rules, uh, like I think three years in a row. Yeah. Well, I mean, the th- reason that it's not sticking is because he has been banned from baseball. He's done for life, so he's not he's not no longer there. Um, and international signing rules—that's not that sexy. I mean, it's not it's not. You know something that's going to stick. It's not an in-game thing. Yes, I mean it is something that can help you build your your organization quickly um, by doing that. But it's not sexy, and it's not even on the level of like the the whole thing with with the Astros with banging on a trash can and stuff like that. And and to be honest, most Major League Baseball teams are are trying to do some kind of spying or at least were I know you know in in the yeah. past couple of years. Yeah, but but I mean at least with the Astros thing, that's a little bit more in the moment and it's right. so like okay that's directly you know fo- um you know affecting the, out- the outcome of these high level games that i watched on tv and and you you can you can play that back and you know if because I, I think that one uh dude john boy did that when he did the whole breakdown yeah yeah okay okay listen right here you can hear the bang so you can go back and you can do that you can't go back in time and look up you know, footage of, of John Coppola, you know, circumventing international science. Well, that's words. a good
0: point. Mm-hmm. That's
2: why that doesn't stick. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, so, yeah, I mean, it's a lot of it's the perception and a lot of it is what is an image that's going to last in people's minds.
0: But I think cheating in sports, yes, everybody's trying to get the advantage, like you said, especially in baseball over the past few years. You know, we, I mean, we know this to be true, but the extent at which the Houston Astros were cheating, it just it, it it did something to the game of baseball right there in that moment, and I really do believe that 2020 the 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 absolute tragedy of what COVID was it actually helped. In terms of their reputation to an extent, we weren't talking about the Houston Astros last year at all. I mean, even when a little bit of baseball was played.
2: Exactly. Because COVID robbed fans of their ability to get their pound of flesh out of the Astros. It would have been a season long, you know, just tour of, of, you know, people putting the boots to them. Now, to the Astros' credit, they've kind of, you know, basically taken all that. And when like, oh yeah, well, f you, and and you know that they, they've basically used that everybody, the fact that everybody hates them, as fuel, you know, wh- and whether it's you know, they they are perversely doing this. Oh, every. Us against everybody, right? Right. As as if they didn't do something to put everybody against them (laughs) in the first place. Right. They're they're glossing over that little fact. But um. But yeah. I mean, there's just certain. I don't know. Um. There's certain organizations that that constantly. You know. You mentioned Notre Dame. I'll give you another one. Every year, I look at you know one of the you know it's be preseason top twenty five college football things, and there's Texas again. When the hell is the last time Texas has been good? Why are they? You know they they'll they'll always start off good then oklahoma kicks their teeth in right. a couple other teams beat them and then by the end of the year they're maybe in the back end of the top 25 if that. that's good point but it, but it, it's texas they're a brand name and everybody knows them so I, the notre dame gets a but i'll at least get notre dame's a little bit more successful but yeah there are certain teams that you're just like why why does everybody focus on them the yankees and the red sox could go in the toilet for 10 years straight but they're going to still be considered marquee names because they're, they're brand name franchise. It's just, unfortunately, it's just how it is. Um, Certain fan bases have certain reps, obviously Philly, New York, Boston, tough towns, Um, LA, their fans don't show up till the second inning, Um, right? (laughs) Atlanta, you know, not, not a big, you know, um, not a diehard sports town. I mean, basically any town, you know, outside of, you know, maybe Chicago that that's not in the Northeast, you know, maybe isn't considered as a diehard sports down. Yeah. Yeah. Um, St. Louis Cardinals.
0: They think they freaking invented baseball, you know?
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. Well, they're, they're, I know you hate them, (laughs) but, but, um, you know, even like, you know, I was like, I I can't like either of these fan bases, the, the whole, you know, Oh, us against everybody with the Astros. You, You know what you guys did. But then on the other hand, I've got a bunch of, you know, entitled, you know, white assholes doing a tomahawk chop. Right. You know, so I can't get behind them either. Um, you know, and I don't care whether you're in Atlanta or Tallahassee or, or Kansas City with the Chiefs, it's dumb. Stop it. It's stupid. So yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I, I just like that that whole thing. I, I just like <laughs> there's certain fan bases. It's just like, I, I I can't with you guys. Exactly.
0: exactly Let me let us know what you're thinking out there. Uh, Table at gmail.com. We'll read your email here on the show and respond to it. I'd love to get your thoughts on sports teams' reputations, sports cities' reputations. Uh, it's an interesting topic for sure. And if you are new to the show, follow us on Apple Podcasts. You can subscribe on just about any podcast platform out there. If something ever happens to your podcast feed, head on over to philadophiasportstable.com and uh, you can get all of our podcast shows over there and make sure to follow Len on Twitter at Len Hunsaker you can follow me at Jeffrey underscore Warren and uh, we're on Twitter Facebook uh, Instagram just search us out on the interwebs out there now Len let's get into some Eagles talk real quick um hey the Eagles made a trade at the trade deadline huh (laughs) they did big trade big trade who cares (laughs) They, they acquired defensive back Kerry Vincent Jr. from the Broncos in exchange for a 2022 sixth round pick and uh, the team consequently released tackle, guard. He's kind of been uh, uh, a floating guy on the offensive line, Brett Toth. And uh, listen, this is a uh, the fourth young cornerback that the Eagles have acquired since April. So we know they drafted uh, 23-year-old Zach McPherson in the fourth round out of Texas Tech. They claimed 23 year old Mac McCain off the Broncos practice squad in September, and just recently in the uh, trade for Zach Ertz with the Cardinals, they got 23 year old Tay Gowan. And uh, I, I tell you, I tell you, Lend these young cornerbacks;
2: they're they're, they're they're really something else, aren't they? It's 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 just depth. I mean, I know if if these guys are ever seeing the field for you. You're, you're, you're gonna get burnt. Yeah. I mean, that's just what it is. Unfortunately. I mean, if you're getting somebody from somebody's practice squad, I mean, what's that guy really gonna do? Exactly. A guy from a six round pick. I mean, what are these people really gonna do for you?
0: And I, and I actually asked myself, I'm like, why? Why is the deal even being made? I'm like, why is it like? Why is it actually happening unless they actually do, from a scouting perspective, see a bit of talent that perhaps. Certain coaches, maybe I would bring something out. I, I'm not saying that's going to happen here with Kerry Vincent Jr. at all, coming over from the Broncos. But I, I would have to imagine that that is somewhat of a discussion within the front office. But listen, man, this 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 team here, Len. We've I, I think we we haven't necessarily learned too too much, but we also have learned a lot from this team. We we've learned that it's not a winning season. We we knew it wasn't going to be a winning season. But I think from Nick Sirianni, he's very limited in where the offense is going to go. I think with Jalen Hurts at this point, and I'm certainly going to get into Jalen Hurts a little bit more with Mark Schofield. Uh, that's what we're throwing down on the table this week. But the Eagles defense, I mean, Jonathan Gannon wasn't blitzing up until week eight this past week. And it and it actually worked, against, yes, against a quarterback like Jared Goff. But uh, I, like, like I was talking with Dave Esser on our Eagles podcast show, or post-game podcast show, Len, they're throwing whatever they can against the wall to see what sticks to see what's working. We're heading into week nine, about halfway through the season, and we're no I don't think we're anywhere closer to developing any sort of positive momentum even for next year at this point. Now a lot of it's gonna be contingent on these draft picks. this is, of course, the uh, the potential three first round picks, but I really don't think we're necessarily closer to really seeing where this team is going to be going in the future here halfway through the season.
2: Yeah, that, that's kind of what bothers me the most about the Eagles. It's not the fact that they're not good. I mean, I didn't think they'd be good. Right. Um, you know, even if they were bad, I'd be fine with it as long as I got some answers. But I don't really feel like I know that much more about this team than I did at the beginning of the year. Right. I mean, I... I I don't think Nick Sirianni's a head coach in the NFL, but, you know, I don't know. Maybe then then the Lions game happens, and then they're blitzing, and they're running the ball, and it's like, hey, where's this been all year? So, you know, m- maybe the light bulb that, you know, every everybody else could see it, but except for him, maybe it finally went off in his head this week, or maybe it's just because they were playing the Lions. I don't know. But I, that's what really bothers me is the fact that I don't feel like I know – much more about this team and its future than I did at the beginning of the season.
0: Right. Exactly. And I think, too, that when we look at where Jalen Hurts is right now, I don't think he's the answer. I just don't. I think this Philadelphia Eagles organization is likely going to be either moving on from him or he will be the backup to whatever quarterback is going to Either be drafted or acquired in free agency, are gonna, or a are we trade. We trade
2: all three first rounders for for Russell Wilson. Maybe <laughs> who knows? Maybe that's, we do, that's do that. Great. <laughs> Maybe we do that's that. Great. I don't know. Let's let's see. so he can go from bad team to another. That's, <laughs> I, I I don't know why he would want to do that personally. I I just I it, it would be worth it for me. I'll tell you right now, it'd be worth it for me to have another year of Jalen Hurts, even if we don't think he's a guy. And just take another year of being bad, and just keep just just keep adding talent, and don't just don't just get a quarterback because you feel like you have to get a quarterback. Yeah, you know, there's more than one. You know, this isn't basketball. The quarterback can't win a game by himself. Right. You need a defense. You need a line. You you need these guys. Like, I'm so tired of talking about quarterbacks.
0: I know. I'm. I want to talk more about the cornerback position on this team a little bit more in the future, Len. Listen, Steve Nelson is gonna be gone after this year. Darius Slay is not part of the long term solution with regard to the secondary. There are major, major issues at the safety position as well. I mean, they're gonna need these three first round picks this year or two, if that's what it's gonna be. They are going to need them on from a defensive perspective here. That's where I'm at right now as we're heading into week nine and already thinking about the offseason, that's where I'm at, man.
2: Yeah, I mean, you got the you know the kid from Notre Dame. There's the um, the corner from uh, LSU. Whenever I look at mock drafts, Stingley, I see him in there. Yeah. You know, is a top six pick. Maybe you get, maybe you get both of them. Right. Um. You know, maybe you get one of those guys off the Georgia defense. There's the the uh, the um, defensive end from Michigan. I mean, you know, these are all 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 of these guys could help this defense. All of them. I, I mean. I just throw a dart. Just pick somebody, pick (laughs) some, just get some defensive help in here. Absolutely. Stop making it this hard.
0: All right, scoring predictions for this week's Eagles-Chargers game. Had a really good discussion um, on our Opposition Territory podcast show this week. Preview show. Go check that out, philadelphiasportstable.com or whatever podcast uh, uh, platform you're on. Uh, Really good talk and discussion there. Len, uh, I think the Chargers are going to win this. I think Justin Herbert's going to come back after having two rough games. And I think the Eagles are going to lose this game at home. Uh I think the Chargers are gonna win this game by a score of twenty eight to eighteen. What do you think it's gonna be?
2: Um I think slightly closer. I don't know what the Chargers are going through right now. Um, but I don't know that necessarily um I don't know. I'm not as you know I mean earlier in the season I was like wow that maybe maybe they're a Super Bowl contender. I'm I'm starting to cool off on that a little bit. Yeah. Um, I will go 26 to 20 uh,
1: chargers
0: 26 to 20 all right very interesting 26 to 20 all right I just I for some reason I can't see this Eagles team unless it's in garbage time really ever getting over like 19 or 20 points you know, you know what
2: I mean uh, and this could be one of those games where it's like you know oh they they got a late score and made it look closer than it was I mean I could easily see that being
0: yeah that happens yeah all right folks well we are going to take a quick break and we come back. We're going to get into some Sixers, Flyers talk, and uh, some other good stuff as well. Stick around. We'll be right back. All right, we are back, and Len, I cannot believe that this uh, Philadelphia 76ers team, as we're recording this, is 6-2 and on the season, and why am I feeling like that? I feel like this team is just staying afloat at the moment, and we're kind of waiting for the bottom of the floor to just completely drop out. It's, It's not just Ben Simmons. It's Joel Embiid's early injury. Tobias Harris right now apparently going through a pretty tough time having contracted COVID, you look at what Seth Curry's done early this season and you think, okay, how long is his productivity and how it's been? How long How long is that going to be sustainable? And you just look at certain other elements of this team that come together on a nightly basis or even, you know, Tyrese Maxey and, and, and part of his development and say, okay, something – the the bottom of the floor is going to drop out soon, isn't it? With, with the adversity that this team does have. And they're one of the top teams now in the Eastern conference, still early, of course, only eight games being played, but I I still feel like the team is just like staying afloat here. You know what I mean, buddy?
2: Yeah. I I mean, I I can see where you're coming from because, you know, you have, you know, uh, basically a $33 million hole in your cap that you're getting nothing from, Right. Um, you know, and look, you know for all, all the you know running down we've done of Ben Simmons over the months and and what have you I mean there's still aspects of this team you know that that he I mean he does give them a lead ball handler with, with you know, the best court vision out of anybody they would have on that team uh Matt I like Maxi, but he's not that right. um he's the best defender on that team you know they they're they're missing that they are there's no getting around that but you know if you're not going to have them – you know and, I, and i've been hearing this on like nba radio on sirius a lot you know people harping on maury to make a move um because you know you're you know they they could be a better team if they would just you know trade him and add some pieces If it whether it was a cj mccullum or whatever and now i would like to see them get more than that but you know who knows what it ends up being um who knows how long this this protracted war between daryl maury and ben simmons is going to go on i i, I I don't know, Um, you know, so, yeah, I I mean, it it would be nice to have some reinforcements in here, you know, because, you know, it would be nice. They had a good win tonight, you know, they they didn't have Tobias Harris or Danny Green, yet they still somehow, you know, beat the Bulls. It would be nice to have a bona fide number two guy on this team because I like Tobias Harris. He's not a number 2 guy on the scene. Yeah. I mean, he's Even though he's been as, playing
0: well, he has been playing well early this he season. He has
2: been playing well, absolutely. 19.8 points, 9 boards a game. I mean, he's been, you know, 4.2 assists per game. He's been he's been good for them. But I you know, you ideally want more and there are certain areas where you look at and you're like, "oof, you know, let let's say for example, Tyrese Maxey goes down. Who's your who's your lead ball handler at yeah. that
0: point?" Yeah, I know. It's, I, really I mean, sc- it's scary so, it is
2: you know i i don't know i mean i i would i would love if they could you know somehow pry you know either dan fox or, or halliburton away from the kings i don't know if that's going to happen but you know you just hope you can get something like that because you know i i just i i like maxi i just don't know that he's a legitimate okay this is your guy your starting point guard right um And it's going to take longer than getting one in here would, would free him up to do other stuff.
0: Well, absolutely. And it's going to take more than eight or 10 games for Tyrese Maxey to start really even developing more in that role if he's able to actually do it. But I I really do think too, you know, I really don't want to get into the Ben Simmons like mental health stuff. And the recent report that came out about that, Eric and I were talking about that on recent show, but I, I really would like to kind of just focus on really quick, Len, the fact that doc rivers has led his team not only through an offseason that had the potential to just cease all progress, but what I think he's done thus far in these first eight games that we've seen, I think it is pretty remarkable, given the turmoil that is going on and the fact that this team is 6-2. and There's something to be said for not just his coaching, but a leadership style and him being able to keep these guys together and to be one of the top teams in the Eastern Conference. I think he deserves all the credit in the world for it.
2: Yeah, and they've beaten you know a couple. I mean, the Bulls are kind of an emerging team, right? Um, the, the Blazers are a back end of the um, you know playoffs, uh, you know, back end of the playoff bracket Western Conference team. But they've got you know the guy that everybody wants, and, and they've got a couple nice players. They beat the Hawks, you know, pretty. That was handily. nice to see. Yeah. So yeah, you know there were some there were some you know there were some uh, nice wins in there. You know, you, I would have liked to have seen them beat the Knicks. And the Nets are the Nets. They're they're a good team, but um, you know, overall, I mean, would people really be that unhappy if you told them they'd be off to a six and two start? Right. I don't think so. I don't
0: think so. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let us know what you're thinking about these uh, Philadelphia 76ers. Do you feel like they're just staying afloat at the moment and you're just kind of waiting for the floor to drop out? Uh, Email us, table at gmail.com, and we'll read your email here on the show and respond to it. Len, let's get into some brief flyers talk, but more so from the Metropolitan Division standpoint. I mean, holy freaking crap. The Flyers are playing some pretty good hockey. They're playing some decent hockey. I've liked what I've seen thus far. You know, the Ryan Ellis injury situation, a little concerning, of course. But entering this season, you, you you looked at the depth of the Metropolitan Division and the fact that the Islanders, the Hurricanes, Capitals, and Penguins, they all made the playoffs last year. And the Rangers, you know, I think universally viewed as a team on the rise has a lot of young talent and some potential future stars and then you also look at the fact that uh you know the hurricanes the rangers the capitals the devils and you and yes the flyers all rank in the NHL's top 10 in terms of points percentage you've got the blue jackets i think they're 12th in the uh uh in in the NHL overall this is going to be a, a, this is going to be a schlobber knocker, as <laughs> good old Jr. used to say. <laughs> Holy cow, this division is brutal, dude. And and I, I, you look at the Flyers looking to have some sort of rebound year from what what couldn't have gotten worse last year. And man, this freaking division is going to be really really tough, man.
2: Yeah, I mean, you look you look at the um, you know at what there is so far, I mean, the, the blue jackets are in fifth right now. Um, I, I'm waiting for them to kind of fall off just because I, I, I don't believe in that just like the Sabres. I mean, they're both those teams are, are doing pretty well right now. I'm waiting for them kind of for them to fall off. Right. And there's, and there's no way the Islanders are going to kind of, you know, be where they are in seventh in the division. You know, they're, they're that to me is, is, you know, probably a top, you know, maybe a top 5 team in in hockey yeah. i think um so i think they're eventually going to you know find their legs and 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 kind of move up the charts here it's it's scary and and what scares me i mean i knew the hurricanes would be good i i know the islanders are going to come back um rangers are pretty impressive early they really um, are it's it's kind of worries me a little bit that you know maybe they're maybe they're one of those teams that is good you know that is really good. Maybe a year quicker than everybody thought, and that would be that would be bad news for the Flyers, because um, that's one of those teams in the that supposedly in the middle that they're competing with. And if they if they make that leap, it's going to be a lot harder for the Flyers to make the playoffs because the Islanders are coming. I think the Devils, you know, are gonna you know they're they're going to be a little bit better this year. I don't know that they'll be you know on par with the Flyers. Um, caps are, are currently in third. Pittsburgh is another team. I don't think they're gonna be bad forever, fortunately. Um, you know, Crosby's gonna to miss tomorrow night's game, uh, because I guess he was hanging out with Aaron Rodgers and, and <laughs> been, they they just, <laughs> he wasn't hanging out with them, but they both have COVID. Right. Um Are we so. at that
0: point where we're able to make the COVID jokes now? uh we might
2: as well All i right. mean <laughs> it's yeah and i feel bad for guys like like crosby and, and tobias uh, harris because they did what they were supposed to do and they did yes. look it happens you still get it sometimes yep. um but yeah penguins are penguins are eventually going to come around i think um uh, so yeah it, it's it's a little scary because i i don't know what happens like like I, dude the schedule is rough man the schedule but, the- but, but But the thing that worries me is like, okay, if they make the playoffs, then, you know, is it going to be in the back end of the first round? And, and, you know, and if they don't make the second round, then what? Then it's just, okay, another Flyers year. And then what happens if they don't make it? Are we blowing everything up? Right. Like like that's kind of. Uh, that's kind of like they they really kind of need to have a good year. <laughs> and it's going to
0: be so tough in this division. I mean, it, it, even even with their schedule, like I was just saying, coming up, uh, you know, playing Pittsburgh tomorrow, they've got Washington next. And then when they get home, they have Toronto and, and they've got Carolina coming up, Dallas, Calgary. Calgary who just took apart the Flyers, you know? Yeah, they, absolutely. That, that's what uh, five games from now or something. So it, it's going to be... It's going to be a really tough stretch, and the division is just absolutely brutal. So, I, I,
2: I, well, yeah, and and you look at some of the stuff that they have right now in terms of you know how okay how long is Ryan Ellis going to be up? Because man, could they use him? Absolutely. Um, You know, so yeah, at Pittsburgh, at Washington, home versus Toronto, who's you know eventually they're going to bust out at Carolina, at Dallas. Yeah, this is. This is a brutal. Wow, this is a really brutal stretch because it really is. Beyond that, you're looking at you know home games against Calgary, Tampa, and Boston. I was just um, gonna
0: say they gotta they gotta play the defending champions right after that Calgary game. Who oh, a bully? Yeah.
2: So, <laughs> yeah, it's a little worrisome. Yeah, get well soon, Ryan Ellis. Um, yes. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't, <laughs>
0: Going to be interesting for sure, absolutely. All right, well, Len, buddy, I'm, I'm going to let you go. I'm going to be bringing one of our good friends of the show on, uh, Josh Tremble, who is uh, with the nonprofit, uh, the Redding Hot Stovers. We're going to talk about the annual banquet coming up with uh, Jamie Moyer, who's going to be headlining Philly all-star great Jamie Moyer. And uh, we're going to t- talk to Josh, and then talk to Mark Schofield, too. So, Len, I'll let you go. You got any final thoughts, buddy, before you head out of here?
2: i do not have a good week
0: all right have a good week and uh make sure uh make sure you're petting that that, that good dog of yours
2: she's sleeping behind me so, oh really yeah.
0: give well give, give her watch a love <laughs> okay <laughs> all right folks let's get to uh our next discussion here at the pst podcast show here at the Philadelphia Sports Table Podcast Show, we've supported nonprofits and organizations over the years that benefits our various communities. And today, we wanted to talk about our partnership with one particular nonprofit, the Reading Hot Stovers, a group and organization that provides baseball and softball scholarships to high school youth who are going to college. And joining us this week on the show is our friend of the pod and one of the board members from the Reading Hot Stovers, Josh Tremble. How are you, Josh? Good. How are you doing, Jeff? Thanks for having me. Yeah, sure thing. I'm really, really excited that we are getting to the point where we're thinking about the Redding Hot Stovers annual banquet, which, which we're going to be talking about in a bit more detail in a bit to let our listeners know if they would like to support uh, everything you all are doing at the Redding Hot Stovers. Um, but first, I kind of wanted to just you know, give the listeners a, a little bit, In full disclosure, uh, Josh and I are, are good friends. We golf together. We're actually related by family. And we were talking on the golf course a couple weeks ago about uh, him coming on and talking about the Reading Hot Stovers annual banquet. But I, I want you to tell the listeners a little bit about the Hot Stovers, what you all do, how long the Hot Stovers have been working in the community to provide scholarships
3: to high school youth, and, and why you got involved, Josh. All right. The Hot Stovers have been around for a while now. Um, we are having our 60th anniversary banquet um in January been around a little bit longer because we did not have a banquet last year due to COVID um but this is our 60th anniversary uh banquet and essentially we are a group of baseball enthusiasts that get together and promote baseball within Berks County and mainly um, Phil-
0: and a lot of Philadelphia Phillies fans too right
3: yeah, oh absolutely yes. <laughs> uh, myself included right um we have a, a one Yankees fan uh, on the board, but primarily Phillies fans. Um, but we we really try to promote the game um, at all levels. So certainly uh, we do a lot with local uh, high school uh, baseball and softball um, and Legion baseball as well. So we we throughout the year have several events. Um, primarily, we have a, we do a golf outing, we do a trivia night, but our main uh, in signature event is the, the banquet. Um, and at the banquet, we award scholarships to uh, high school baseball and uh, softball players um, who are going on to a higher education. You know, m- most of them college, but certainly uh, anybody who is eligible if they're going on to a trade school or community college, uh, whatever it may be, that, that's the primary way that, that we help uh, support the game within our community. Um, however, we also uh, do our best to, um acknowledge those teams that have succeeded so you know those who won the the county championship you know for you know high school and league and and, you know, district champions, anything along those lines, uh, we try to acknowledge those teams as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Why, why'd you want to get involved in the Redding Hot Stovers? I mean, I know you're a community guy. Like I said, you know, you and I have been friends for some time. I know you're a community based guy, but like, what was it that really drove you to want to be involved with the Redding Hot Stovers? And even aside from the baseball perspective, because we're, we're huge baseball fans, but what was it? What was the calling for you?
3: Um, long story short, the banquet. I started going to the banquet about ten years ago, and I just I absolutely loved it. You know, to me, it was far and away the best baseball event in all of Berks County, and, and honestly, the best baseball event that I've been to. It was really, um, you know, it, it just celebrated the games at all levels. Um, it, from the major league uh, level, you got to you know have some interaction with some you know ex major leaguers, sometimes some some current major leaguers you know, right on down to, you know, the high school level. So it was really just, you know, a a great celebration of the game. And and that comes in, you know, late January where it's cold outside and, you know, your sort of spring training is is just around the corner. So it comes at a really good time to... Uh, help you get excited about the, the upcoming season
0: hot stove season for sure that's what I that's why I love going you've all been great to invite the Philadelphia sports table podcast show down there uh, uh, during the media time uh, to talk to some of the former players current players as well but the 2022 banquet I feel like it's right on the horizon I'm looking forward to being there as well uh just just to celebrate you know what this banquet is like you said 60th anniversary so can you tell everybody what the annual banquet's going to entail in 2022, you know, what they can expect and uh, who they'll have the opportunity to hear
3: speak. Absolutely. So, um, we have just set our lineup. So our our keynote speaker is going to be Jamie Moyer. Um, and then (laughs) I'm excited to, to, to meet Jamie Moyer and he's excited to come back to the area. Um, as we all know, he's a, he's a local guy. He went to St. Joe's. So, um, he hasn't been back in quite some time. So he's excited to, to come back to the area and speak to people um, and then Andre Dawson's also going to be uh, there along with Ricky Botalico oh man it's a stellar so, it's, lineup it's a stellar yeah, it's a, lineup it's a pretty good lineup uh, <laughs> the date set for January 20th so it's it's the last Thursday of, of January it's at the uh, I'm sorry the third Thursday of January at the uh, Doubletree tree in reading and it's it's just a great great banquet so you show up for for um cocktail hour and generally we have a uh, a local bar brewery uh donate a, a keg or two and they're, they're free beer there's free beer during that time until you know it's gone um so <laughs> you, can, you can buy drinks you know at the bar but this is where you really get a chance to to interact with the players so the players will be there they'll they'll be set up at tables and certainly you can get autographs but what, what's even a little bit cooler is that you get a chance to interact with them yeah so it's not so much here. Get your autograph and and get out of the way. You know, if you want to talk to him for a couple of minutes, you you have that opportunity, and I think that's a really uh, neat experience.
0: And I think that's the key to everybody listening out there. If you are local here in the Eastern Pennsylvania area, anywhere in Pennsylvania or even Northern Maryland or so, it is the experience of the Reading Hot Stovers annual banquet that really does kind of just bring home what baseball is all about. So Josh, really quick uh, to end this here, can, can you let people know where they can go to buy tickets and, and or support the uh, Hot Stovers if they want
3: to with regard to the banquet or just the organization in general? Absolutely. Uh, our website is Um That has all the information. It has the uh, the link to buy tickets you can you know buy them online or you can print out a, a form and mail it in um certainly we can also be found on uh facebook and twitter as well
0: all right good deal hey man i want to i want to co- have you on talk a little bit more about this in the future for sure perhaps in december you know when the uh, banquet's going to be right around the corner so come back and join us we'll talk some more uh, good reading hot stovers stuff and uh and, and all the good work you're doing jeff i would love to thank you very much for having me Len, Eric, and myself have been to the Redding Hot Stovers annual banquet on several occasions. It is a fun and really, really awesome experience. If you're in the area or you want to support the Redding Hot Stovers, please do with their annual banquet or the organization in general. I know they would greatly, greatly appreciate that. We are going to take a quick break right now. And when we come back, we're going to get into some college football quarterback prospects as we look towards what may happen with the Philadelphia Eagles in next year's NFL draft. That's right. We're already looking to the draft. So we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. All right. Let's get into some football talk now. It's what we are throwing down on the table. And now
1: on
2: the table.
0: All right, we got to talk about some quarterback prospects coming out of college as it pertains to where this Philadelphia Eagles team may be going in the future. Joining us this week, one of our very good friends here at the Philadelphia Sports Table podcast show. You can find him on Twitter at Mark Schofield. He's he's doing some great work over at the Touchdown Wire. I listen to him on BGN radio as well. He does the uh, QB Factory reboot show over there. Mr.
1: Mark Schofield, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing well, Jeff. Great to be with you, buddy. Sorry if I sound a little frazzled, but we just got news that Aaron Rodgers is out this week for the COVID, so that's a little bit of news.
0: Yeah, that's a little bit of news, and it's a little bit of news for my fantasy football team uh, in my big money league that I've been playing in for years and years, which I've actually won three times. I have Derrick Henry in that league, now, and and, and I have Aaron, Aaron Rodgers as well, so... I know where my chances stand at this point in the season
1: right now. Yeah, that's a a little rough,
3: my friend.
0: (laughs) Yes, it is. Absolutely. But uh, in terms of talking about quarterbacks here with the Philadelphia Eagles, Mark, you know, I, I think, and I'm wanting to get your thoughts here on this past week, I'm looking at it as a Philadelphia Eagles fan, as it possibly being a pivotal point for Jalen Hurts and the Eagles organization overall. He had nine completions on 14 attempts for 103 yards. Of course, they used him in the rushing game, but they took much of the RPO decision-making away from him as they were playing the Detroit Lions. And, and, and that Detroit Lions team, as we know, they're just, they don't have a good secondary. They have a very weak linebacker core. They're just not good. I know that you've said on other podcasts before that we need to wait it out with Jalen Hurts, pump the brakes, You know, let him develop a little bit more. But, Mark, what do you take away from not only Hurts' game from this past week against the Lions – and and how the Eagles have been really handling him as they've been evaluating him thus far after eight weeks.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm still sort of in the, it's not time to sort of give up. It's not time to make a move. It's not time to bench him or anything like that. But I do think it was interesting, sort of how they put that game plan together. You know, you're going up against a team, like you said, has some weaknesses on the defensive side of the ball at the second and third levels. You might think, you know, it's an opportunity for him to have a get-right game, but they right. really used it as an opportunity for the run game to have a get-right game. You had you know, two touchdown runs from Boston Scott, a pair of touchdowns from you know, Howard, and you know, they relied on the run game. They didn't ask Hertz to do that much in the passing game. They certainly used his legs. You know, th- that being said, there were some throws that he had that I liked, some reads that he had that I liked. He had the throw to Quest Watkins early in the game. The 16-yard gain where he's reading the concept to the right side, doesn't like it, comes to that sort of backside dig late. I liked that. There were some other moments he added in completion to Devonta Smith where he, he did what we've seen him do too much of, which is you have a perfectly clean pocket with just a four-man rush and way too early in the down, he pulls his eyes down, he starts running around, and he starts realizing as he spins into and out of and into the pocket again that the pocket's fine. There was no need to do that. Right. And then he forces a late throw that is target and And yeah. So, you know, I, I do think that... Time is running short on the Jalen Hurts evaluation process here. I, I, I do agree with that idea. I have said on other shows that I think you still sort of give it to, like, Thanksgiving time. Okay. Um, but the Eagles do have a decision to make because as it stands right now, you know, they've got three picks in, what, the top 11 or so? At this you point, yeah. You might want to use one of those on a quarterback. Now, that could change. Obviously, the Indianapolis situation of the Carson Wentz trade and that conditional pick, it could become a second rounder if they decide to sit him down at some point. And so, you know, maybe it's not a situation where you have three, you really just have the two. But I, I do think that you have to give the Hertz evaluation a bit more time, but you yeah. have to finish that evaluation wherever yeah. you come down on it. I went into this season, Jeff, cautiously optimistic that Hertz will be able to put it together. That optimism has dimmed. It's diminished um it's more of a reserved optimism at right. this point and even that's a, a bit optimistic a bit overly optimistic yeah. <laughs> because i think we're seeing these mistakes continue yes right. there are flashes yes there are moments just yes, there are individual plays you can point to here and there and say yeah it, it's clicking but it's not happening at a sufficient enough consistency at a sufficient enough number of plays each week and it's not a proven with a number of plays each week where you can really feel comfortable saying right now, yeah, he's definitely the guy. And the more that question lingers, the longer it gets into November where you're still wondering, that almost gives you your answer
0: this Eagles team wants to be a passing team. The organization itself wants to be a passing team. And I think I think the majority of NFL teams want to. And Mark, you and I over the years that you've been so great to come on the show, we have been talking about a phrase with quarterbacks and quarterback evaluations time and time again. It's something I mention on our show a lot. It's pocket management. It's something that Jalen Hurts just doesn't have yet. And it's something that hasn't improved. And that's where I have that really, really diminished optimism that he's really going to put it together. Gather over the course of the next month or so, because pocket management just doesn't happen overnight. You know, I mean, you know this better than anybody.
1: Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't happen overnight, and you know, it, it's it, it takes a long process to sort of figure that out. It takes a, you know, and especially the thing with Hertz is that he's like many young athletic quarterbacks. He has to sort of balance his athleticism with pocket integrity and pocket management. You know, and, and I wrote this about Hertz. A couple of weeks ago, you know, for many young quarterbacks, they've always been the most athletic guy on the field. And so when they didn't like something initially, they felt like, oh, that can just put the football down and run and run around and I can create something on the edges. Yeah. Instead, now you're seeing defenders on the other side of the ball at this level. They're not going to be so slow. They have the ability to get to you, right. to track you down. To, you know, you suddenly, where well, you're used to sort of rolling around and making a throw, instead, you've still got somebody in your face. And when these guys are so athletic, you've basically gone away from the structure of the pocket. You've run yourself into pressure because, you know, envision the pocket, right? You've got your right, left, right, and left tackle blocking to the outside. If you then bail from that, You've basically taken a blocked defender and turned him into an unblocked defender because he doesn't have to fight through the tackle. (laughs) He just has to step to the outside. And now it's somebody that has the athleticism to match your quickness to the edge. You know, I I mean, I I told this story recently where, you know, my first collegiate start, I I was always in high school. I ran track. I was a multi-athletic guy many times, you know, on a football field. We had a third and long situation. I didn't like the concept way the way it was developed. And so early in the early in the play I was like, Look, I'm just gonna scramble for the first down. I'm running as fast as my little legs will carry me. I, I see what looks to be the first down marker. I get to the sideline, dip out of bounds, just beyond it. I heard this and I story. See the story. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Jeff, I see the punt team coming on the field. I had just gotten back to the original line of scrimmage. <laughs> yes. and, you know, and, and that's the difference. And I know look, people will be listed like oh high school to division three, but yeah, it's 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 a similar adjustment right, from right. the Big Twelve to the NFL. Like the things happen so much faster, the athletes are so much better that you might think that you've got the ability to get to the edge and get a first down, but you don't, and, right. and that's the balance and act that young quarterbacks have to go through.
0: Absolutely. Well, let's get into some young quarterbacks here, some talent that you've certainly been looking at and scouting over the course of this college football season and who might actually potentially be a good fit for the Philadelphia Eagles or who the Philadelphia Eagles might actually want to look at in the uh, 2022 draft. Um, I want to see, can I get your thoughts here? On, on some of these quarterbacks who might be on the Eagles' radar. I guess first and foremost, let's start with the number one quarterback prospect at this point, Matt Corral. Uh, thus far, 15 touchdowns on the year, two interceptions. You know, We've been seeing some nice accuracy from him. He's got a strong arm, the ability to run when plays break down. He's developed some field vision here in 2021, a lot better than where he was at in 2020 from my understanding. But he also has to improve his decision making, <laughs> as well. So, what what's been your overall analysis and thoughts of Matt Corral thus far here in 2021, Mark?
1: And would he be a good fit for the Eagles potentially? You know, I, I think we'll start with that decision making because making part because you're absolutely right, Jeff. That that was something that going into this season gave me a lot of pause about him. You're talking about a quarterback that last year six interceptions against Arkansas, five interceptions. Against LSU. Yeah. Like those are video game numbers and not good video game numbers. We typically say right. video game numbers about a guy throwing seven touchdown passes. Well, you throw six interceptions. That's you know, me playing against my son against Madden with the kind of stuff that he does right. against me. Right. But you know, that's what you're seeing. That's what you're seeing from him last year. This year the decision making has been better. He's certainly cut down the interceptions. He's cut down on the mistakes. Now he had, a, he had a bad interception You know, this past week against Auburn. They were trying to get back in that game. They're down two scores. He has a late throw over the middle into the end zone that gets intercepted. He had a chance for that sort of statement game against Alabama going into Tuscaloosa. We saw Joe Burrow do that a couple years ago, come out with a win, propels him to the first overall pick. Matt Corral didn't turn the ball over in that game, but didn't lead Mississippi to a victory in that one. So you right. kind of wonder, well, that's a missed opportunity there. But he has overall gotten better with his decision-making, with his reads. And one of the things I really like about him, he's showing you some flashes, some moments of working through reads, get into the backside dig route, the backside curl route, or whatever it is on the backside of a concept. He's shown you some athleticism at the position, which, you know, I, I know we just sort of walk through the double-edged sword nature of that, but He's more comfortable staying in the pocket, I think, right now than uh, I've seen some other young quarterbacks, so that's a very good sign for him. And as far as the fit, I I know, look, what is this offensive identity is a popular question around the Eagles right now. Maybe they started to figure it out against Detroit. Maybe they've started to piece that together. But I think generally speaking, uh, I think he's a, a good fit for what we anticipate this offense to be.
0: Okay. All right. Well, moving on to the next quarterback prospect I want to get into. You know, When we take a look at the combine year after year, a lot of us get enamored with the the, the physicality and what I mean is just ha- what the measurables are with some of these uh, quarterback talent, just talent in general coming out of the college ranks and, and how they're going to fit on certain NFL teams. And when it comes to quarterbacks, I tend to like tall quarterbacks in the NFL, Mark, because it's a little easier to get that ball. Over the offensive lineman may seem elementary to some out there for me to say that, but but that's generally what I like. I, and I know we've seen guys like Drew Brees in the past, but the height issue is actually somewhat of a concern for me when it comes to a gentleman like Malik Willis at Liberty. He is one of the top quarterback prospects that's probably going to be coming out of this draft class. And part of me also feels like Jalen Hurts already has some of those similar skill sets that Malik Willis has, the, the escapability out of the pocket. Kind of tough to sack. Yeah, uh, He can throw a good deep ball with some strength. We've seen that from Jalen Hurts as well. So how would you assess where Malik Willis is currently as prospects are looking at him here?
1: Yeah, I mean, Hurts is interested from sort of a, you know, what do you do? How do you evaluate him? Where do you stack him? Decision point specifically for the Eagles, right? Because you can make an argument that, Malik Willis is Jalen Hurts plus, right? Right, right. So, a little shorter. And that's where I was going with the physical
0: stuff. You know, I think he's only six foot.
1: Yeah. And it sort of gets you into the okay, well, you know what you have in Jalen Hurts. Maybe Malik Willis becomes a better version of Jalen Hurts. Like, are you willing to sort of make that sort of trade off? Now, I think the arm strength, the arm talent is more dynamic for Malik Willis. Uh, I think the playmaking ability is a bit more dynamic. But as we've talked about, pocket management, decision making, like those are still question marks on him. And you know, with Willis, I think you're getting into an area of, you know, you might have a very boom bust type of scenario, type of uh, you know scale to play out here because he could be the sort of the the Trey Lance, Josh Allen of this class.
3: Okay.
1: Where, yeah, in the right environment, in the right situation, you could have a guy that ends up being a tremendous star in the NFL. Or it could be a guy that doesn't get close to that, and you know you might even end up resetting the quarterback clock two seasons from now. Yeah. And so do, are you comfortable enough, are you confident in the developmental framework around the quarterback position right now in Philadelphia to take a player like that with this boom-bust potential, and develop him into a position where he can reach that ceiling. If you're comfortable with what the Eagles have in place on a coaching staff framework, then maybe you do it. You know, Maybe you do it and you do what we just saw the Jets do this week, which is they take his private quarterback coach, Zach Wilson's private quarterback coach, John Beck, and put him on staff. You know, and I'm wondering, Jeff, if that's the next wave of quarterback development. That's interesting. We've seen, all, you know, I've written about it. So many people have written about it. You, you want to do things that make your young rookie quarterback comfortable, right? Running concepts, running designs. Don't fit him into your offense. Fit your offense around what he does. Now you're seeing all of these guys have their private quarterback coach that gets them ready for the draft, that, that works with them in the offseason, that works with them from a mechanical standpoint, that scripts their pro days. Now the Jets decided, look, we're going to go hire him. We're just going to go hire him, put John Beck on staff, put him on the sideline, have him be working with him all the time, you know, in his ear all the time, because look, quarterback coaches can only do so much. Right. they have got a couple of different guys to work with. Offensive coordinators got get to get the entire team ready. Now you've got your quarterback guy on staff. So maybe a Quincy Avery, who's worked with Malik Willis, you draft Malik Willis and you do what you know, the Jets did with John Beck, just with Quincy Avery and say, hey, Quincy, Now, are you willing to? Just come work for us and focus on this guy as part of an NFL staff. That might be the sort of next wave, Jeff, of quarterback development.
0: I think that's very interesting. It really is, you know. And how far down the depth chart does that go, too? <laughs> you know? Right. I mean, you do know? we
1: start? Do we start having 53 individual coaches right, on, right, on right. each team? Like I don't know. I mean, <laughs> the league is very specialized, and so maybe we go. And you know what? I'd be okay with that because eventually some team's gonna say, look, well, we gotta hire this Mark guy because we're out of other people. There you hire, go. So maybe I end up with an NFL game. <laughs>
0: exactly. Exactly. Uh, at Mark Schofield on Twitter, folks. He's a great, great follow. Uh, but but sticking with the uh, quarterback prospect talk here. Also wanted to talk about Carson Strong with you. I know you've watched him as well, and what he might able, uh, what he might be able to bring to an NFL team in 2022 and possibly beyond, you know, thus far he's completed 71% of his passes this season, 24 touchdowns, five interceptions. I'm not sure if he'll end up being a high first rounder, maybe a first rounder or uh, maybe a day two type of talent, but how how might his skill set potentially work for uh, Nick Sirianni's offense? If you could potentially see that.
1: You know, I I think the conversation around Carson Strong, Jeff, is in some ways going to mimic the conversation about Mac Jones. Just it's going to be tweaked a little bit differently because if you remember the Mac Jones discussion, you and I had it. Oh yeah, it was okay. You know, he's a good quarterback, but getting quarterback of his athletic profile do enough to survive in today's NFL, where we we are seeing a premium placed on athleticism at the position. Now, I would say that at the time. You know, my, my counter to that was, well, he's really good with his mind. He understands, you know, pass protection is extremely well and blitz is extremely well. And he's been good enough at the college level of seeing where weak points are and spinning away from them early in the play if he has to. I'd say at the NFL level, he's shown a bit more athleticism over his, you know, eight games with the New England Patriots, where he's had some moments where he's needed to scramble and needed to move around. And, you know, he started to move around in the pocket and climb the pocket with footwork. And so you know, maybe we sort of undersold him from an athletic profile standpoint. Yeah, That gets us to Strong, because Strong has had some knee injuries, he's had some, you know, lower body injuries in the past. He doesn't really move that well in the pocket. And so you're going to have that discussion, sort of a Mac Jones-style discussion around him. Can he move around? Can he survive? Can he create? Can he extend and, and things like that? Can he mask protection problems up front with what he can do as a, as a quarterback in the pocket with his feet and with his legs? Now, the way this goes in a different direction is Carson Strawn has a great arm. Like, Matt Jones has an NFL arm that's good for now. It could, it could improve. Strawn has a really good arm. You know, Strachan can put velocity on throws. And so, you know, he's got the ability to make some throws in the downfield passing game that, you know, he can wait on a bit. He can hand in there a little bit longer in the pocket. Make throws downfield He's more of a Josh Allen-type arm than a Joe Burrow-type arm. Right. So sort of the Strachan versus Matt Jones dichotomy. And so... The discussion will be similar to Mac Jones, albeit a little bit different. The question of the fit is how much do you want to involve the quarterback in the run game? You know, are they doing some of the quarterback run stuff right now because it's Jalen Hurts or right. because that's where they want to be? If that's just something they're doing because that fits Jalen Hurts, well good. You're doing something to fit your quarterback. That's smart. You go and you draft Carson Strong, you'd expect the offense to be a little bit different. If they're doing that because that's where Siriani wants to be, generally speaking, or that's kind of where Sirianni wants to be because he knows in this sort of too-high world we're living in where defenses are showing you two deep safeties pre-snap and saying, look, you've got to run the ball. Well, one way offenses are responding is not just by running the ball, but running the ball with the quarterback, you know, because teams are showing you that light box, and so if you just hand the ball off, you might be plus one in the box, but if you run with the quarterback, you're now plus two. That's a nice numbers game. And so if Sirianni wants to live in that world, then you might need athleticism at the quarterback position. So that will be the question with Strong, both from a general standpoint, how the league feels about him, as well as an Eagles-specific standpoint. Like, he can make all the throws and all that stuff, and if that's what you want from your quarterback, great. This might be your guy. But if you want the guy that has that athleticism, both to just extend plays when you throw, as well as to be a factor when you run,
0: That might not be your guy. Right. Well, lastly, Mark, I wanted to really get into, you know, and I know it's early to be talking about the draft, of course, but, you know, especially when the college football season still hasn't finished here. But I look at some of the amazing talent that is in the college ranks. And I think to myself, you know, we've talked about it before, too. Um, but but just to continue with the discussion, can this guy actually really put it together in the NFL because his college team isn't really running anything like he's going to see in the NFL you know it's it's you're hard pressed every every now and again on a Saturday to find college teams that are and college offenses that are running like, you know, spacing concepts, you're hard pressed to kind of find that every now and then. So I'm, I'm wondering, that's just an example, but you know, how should we be looking at that dichotomy between the talent we're seeing in college and especially at the quarterback position and how they may perform at the NFL level as we're here, you know, uh, beginning of November.
1: Yeah. You know, it's, such a tough question each year, Jeff. You know, this isn't a 2021 specific. You're going to give day. me an answer. Yeah, no, I know. But this is the question we always grapple with. I think this year, in particular, though, you know, last year's quarterback class, for example, you can make the case that these guys were pretty scheme diverse. Right. You know, even Mac Jones, you can make the case there's a couple of different offenses he could fit in. You know, and these were guys that were so talented where you can see they could sort of overcome the environment i I look at trevor Lawrence, the guy that was drafted first overall the guy that was my qb1 and part of my argument for him being qb1 was he's talented enough that scheme fit he'll fit anywhere yeah and sort of environment like he will overcome bad situations and you know there are some bad coaching situations around the league as we've seen this year um there might not be a worse one currently than jacksonville now that seems to be a bad situation but even in the midst of this Trevor Lawrence is still doing everything he can. He's still making some great throws. It's just, you know, stuff's not getting completed. Stuff's getting dropped and things like that. Right. This next group, it's a tougher argument to make. You know, maybe um, Matt Corral could have overcome you know, adversity or could fit into different offenses, but I don't know. And he's going to have the, well, he's doing this for Lane Kiffin, and Lane Kiffin dials great stuff up. Are you comfortable Malik Willis is going to run any kind of offense you want to throw at him? Are you comfortable Carson Strong can do that? are you comfortable Kenny Pickett can do that and with Kenny Pickett you're going to get the hand size argument because there are people already saying that his hands are too small to play in the NFL it's not the like easy one to one fit that you see- you might have seen last year from those guys right so you know that makes it tougher from an evaluation standpoint and then you just generally you know the thing I tell you uh, every time I come on with you is you have to try to sculpt the traits, not the scheme right 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 so you've got a quarterback take macarell He's in Lincoln Riley's, I mean, Lane Kiffin's offense. He's doing these things that are pretty creative from even a collegiate standpoint, you know, but can he do the things like read out a concept and get to the backside of it and throw his third receiver open? Right. Can he do things like that? You might see it once or twice a week. You might see it three times a month, but A, do you see it? And B, do you see it enough where you're comfortable that he could do that five times a game on an NFL Sunday? Like, like that's the thing you have to sort of work through, you know, you might not get there, you right. might not get to that point. And this might be the kind of draft season, Jeff, where the team that goes quarterback first, they might do it at say 10 overall, but it might be player 30 on their board. Yeah. Like you, you look at, you know, guys like Nate Tice and company over at Bleacher Report that just, in, that just released their first like big board. Desmond Ritter was their top quarterback, and he was like 25 on their board. Wow. Um, and so, you know, whether your guy, your QB1 is Ritter, whether, whether it's Matt Corral, Malik Willis, whatever, that might be where, when you sort of take a step back and grade all these players out, that might be where your QB1 ends up. And so, if you're a team that needs quarterbacks, how, how willing are you to draft that player that might be 25 on your overall board at five? Right. Like, you're passing on a guy that you've got graded as a top ten, top five type player. You're passing on a, you know, whether it's, you know, the Texas a&m D tackle, whether it's Thibodeau, the pass rusher, whether it's Kyle Hamilton, the safety, whether it's Stanley or Gardner, the corners, like you're passing on guys that will be graded much higher to go get the quarterback. So if you're gonna do that, you might have to do that because of the importance of the position. That gets you into, can we develop him? Do we have the framework and structure around him to do so? Will he fit in our system? Like you've got to get all that stuff right. In years past, you might not have needed to get all that stuff right. It certainly would help, but the guys were good enough. This year, you better get all that stuff right.
0: This year, especially the Philadelphia Eagles have to get it right because it is likely going to be an historic, historic draft for this team, an organization potentially with three first-round picks and potentially three (laughs) higher first-round picks for sure, and I think it's extremely relevant what you were just saying, Mark, as it pertains to the Philadelphia Eagles organization. And uh, Man, I got to tell you, it was great talking to you. What a great discussion. Always a wealth of knowledge. At Mark Schofield, everybody, and uh, Mark, man i really appreciate you taking the time to come on this week
1: thanks so much jeff always a blast buddy
0: all right folks and we are going to uh, end things there at philadelphia PSD. you can follow the show you can follow me at jeffrey underscore warren follow len at len hunsicker and uh, we've got some great content coming your way in the weeks in months and probably <laughs> years to come take care everybody and we will catch you next time